Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Washington, D.C. is Ben Olson. Hey, Ben, I don't think we ever talked about Star Wars. Did you see Star Wars or no? Uh, I did see Star Wars, What'd yeah. What did you think? Um, uh, it was okay. I kind of felt like... I don't know how to describe the feeling. I just remember watching it and getting a little bored. It was pretty long. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What'd you think? I liked it. I thought it was entertaining. I went and saw it, you know, on opening night. And so it was like a big crowd and it was kind of, there was like energy because of that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I think it was not as good as Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was still, I actually thought it was better than episode seven though. So I, I kind of like the direction they're going. Well, at least they had a new storyline. Right. It was a new story instead of a straight-up ripoff of uh, episode four. I liked it yeah. that Kylo Ren turned into an, a more interesting bad guy. He's not. He wasn't like just the angsty teenager anymore. You know he he mm-hmm, became mm-hmm. he had a character and he was a bit of a badass. So that was that was kind of cool. Oh, I know one thing that I didn't like, and maybe this is a spoiler. So skip this if you don't want to hear it. But when he killed the bad dude, yep. I was like. How this guy is the supreme leader. He's bad. Yeah. You can't kill him that easy. It was just too, yep. I don't know, too predictable and kind of like... Meh. I liked the way he killed him. I thought that was kind of cool, but it was just like the one shot, like that sneak attack one shot. And yeah, yeah. well, they didn't give any background on that guy, by the way. Like, in episode seven, they teased, oh, boy, there's this big bad, and we need to figure out who he is and what's going on with this guy. And then (laughs) in episode eight, they're just like, here he is. He's dead now. Yeah. Don't worry about it. He's dead. Moving on. I still feel like Darth Vader is just, you know, untouchable compared to these other bad guys that they've created. I don't know how they did that, or if I was just a kid, and so I was more impressionable or something, but... He seems so much more badass yeah, than these guys. I agree. That's true. Um, but I don't know, they look like they're setting up Kylo to be pretty badass in episode nine. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, Kylo, we'll see. Kylo Ren's scariest moment is still the very first moment you see him in the beginning of episode seven. He uses the force and like stops that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, blaster beam the, in in the air, and he, as he's like burning that village down. <laughs> yeah, they just should have left his mask on, man. Yeah, <laughs> no to that guy. But he looks like a kid. That's the problem, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Just something about him. I mean, you can be a kid and tough, but yeah, you're right. Like before, he took his mask off and he was controlling that that laser shot or yeah. whatever. You're like, holy shit. Yeah, he was like, scary. Don't mess with this guy. This is a Darth Vader replacement. And then kind of went downhill from there. Yeah. Kind of like... <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, anyway. All right. Well, there's our Star Wars update. It was it was good, but not great. My, I will say that kids loved it, I think. I mean, I don't know if your boys... Did your boys like it? Yeah, yeah. They loved the little... What? The little chicken Porgs. things that were yeah getting eaten and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, my niece who's 10 and just loves being, she loves Star Wars and she loves being Ray. She's, you know, which is super cool that they've got this girl Star Wars character that little girls are mm-hmm. excited about. I love that. But, um, she 
thought that this was the best Star Wars movie all, all of all of them. So this is her number mm-hmm. one favorite. So um, there could be something to that, like kid nostalgia kind of a thing that we remember the original ones being so awesome, but it's, they're mm-hmm. they're definitely getting replaced in the mind of uh, today's kids. So yeah, that's good. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. We're going to run through a whole bunch of uh, listener emails today in a desperate attempt to try to catch up with our backlog. But first, we need to talk about our YouTube channel, which we mentioned last time, which, mm-hmm. boy, the response is overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I think all of our listeners have signed up, actually. So we have 21 subscribers, um, and we want to send a personal thanks to each one of you. Yeah, how would we ever do that? It would take us five minutes to do that. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get around to it, but uh, thank you. <laughs> Uh, that is at thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash YouTube. And we need people to go and just hit the subscribe button on YouTube because when you do that, then it moves us toward uh, having 100 subscribers, at which point we get to have our own uh, YouTube custom URL. And that's important. Um, so please go to, again, it's uh, thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash YouTube. And yep. just hit subscribe for us. And uh, yeah, that'll help. Cool. By the way, sorry, the movie talk reminded me of one more movie, and I know that you have the movie pass thing. So I'm curious if you've seen All the Money in the World. I have. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I liked it a lot, too. It's really intense. So um, if you don't like <laughs> blood, then don't see it. But I thought it was really good. Yeah, yeah. What'd you do? Go uh, take your wife out on a date? No, no, no. That was a guy's night out. Guy's night out. Thing. You you and your homies and you went and saw All the Money in the World. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Um, how <laughs> did you choose that film? I just looked interesting because it's based on a true story. Um, it's definitely something that the the wives would not want to see. Really? No. Why? I don't know. I, I just some at least, huh? I don't understand why that's it's historical fiction and it has Michelle Williams in it and it's it was a good movie. I don't know why anyone would not like be not interested in seeing that movie. That doesn't seem like a guy's movie. It's not uh, Fast and Furious. No, that's true. Uh, I think it's just emotionally intense on a wavelength that. Oh, uh, uh, because just... of the abducted kid. Sure. Yeah. I see. And the way he was treated and stuff. I see. And all the guys are like, oh boy, it would be great if our kid got abducted. Yeah. Like that's clearly how we think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I did like that movie. Uh, it is not the best of all of the movies that I saw in uh, December and January. Um, there are still movies that I like a lot better than that. I really liked I, Tanya and I really liked the shape of mm. water and I, um, Oh, Florida project was also amazing, but uh, yeah, all the bunny in the world was good. I liked it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw Jumanji. <laughs> oh yeah. Was it funny? It was okay. It was decent. I really liked the rock and I like Jack black and, um, the, so it was, you know, that was like, it was okay. It has decent reviews and it was okay. It's a kind of a kid's mm-hmm. movie. 
But uh, yeah. they made it was an interesting twist on the old Jumanji formula because they turned it into like a video game kind of a thing. They're inside of a video game. So it had kind of yeah. like insider video game jokes, which were good for me. Cool. Um, okay. So want to jump into emails, you think, Ben? Sure. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Number one. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I don't know if you've ever come across this study, but I thought you would like it and maybe find it helpful for your students. From the abstract, students preparing for the GRE, MCAT, LSAT, or PCAT. What the heck is the PCAT? Mm. Hmm. Interesting sounding name, PCAT. Were randomly assigned to write expressively about their upcoming exam or to write or to a neutral writing condition. That's the, uh, that's the control. Yeah, yeah, I understand. It's kind of weirdly worded. But anyways, participants uh, completed measures of de- depressive symptoms and test anxiety before and after writing, and exam scores were collected. Okay. I don't know why they have to write this in the passive. The experimental disclosure group had significantly higher test scores and significantly lower pre-exam depressive symptoms than the neutral writing group. Okay, so the people who had to write expressively uh, had better outcomes and less depression than the other group. Although benefits for depressive symptoms were found in expressive writers regardless of exam type, the advantage of expressive writing for test performance was only observed in students taking the MCAT or LSAT. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, okay. There's a small sample size for LSAT students. Only 15 were in the study, but interesting nonetheless. Nine days prior to their test, participants were asked to write expressively for 30 minutes. They were assigned to write about their deepest thoughts and feelings regarding the exam. The score differences definitely looked promising for the experimental group, 64 percentile, versus the control group, 34 percentile. I'm not sure what that means exactly, but um, like that's where their average score was. I have no idea. I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, Most of the data from these types of studies is merely suggestive, but many of the studies do find that it is more helpful for students with extreme anxiety. There is no conclusive mechanism yet for this type of intervention, but I think the suggestions from the researchers are interesting. This study does somewhat strengthen what other studies have found in that expressive writing helps working memory. The study also suggests that one reason why expressive writers benefit is that this sort of activity prompts people to change their study behaviors or the way they approach the test. Would be interesting to see what happens with a larger group, or if you try it with your students. Okay, I don't necessarily see myself trying this with my students, <laughs> but I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> I, I, I think the it has potentially has merit. I mean, remember how we were just talking about that thing of visualize the worst thing that could happen, and yeah, right, yeah, I agree. So mm-hmm. if you're sitting there. This is writing before the test in the week or 10 days before the test. And you sit down and you write your thoughts and feelings. They were asked to write their deepest, what did it say again? Write their deepest thoughts and feelings regarding the exam. So if you sit down and you sort of get it out on paper, like I'm really worried that I'm going to crash and burn on this and it's going to ruin my whole life and whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm worried I'm going to have a panic attack. I'm worried that I'm going to freeze up on the logic games. I'm worried that Mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um, maybe getting it out there and just seeing the worst case scenario on paper makes you realize that, you know, sort of accept it 
it can happen. Yeah. But also realize that even if it does happen, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And maybe free you up a little bit when you go into the test because you're not so stuck on these obsessive thoughts. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you come into more contact with your with reality. Like a lot of anxiety comes from a misperception of reality, right? Like you're I, overblowing fears. Like ninety nine percent of anxiety, I think. I think the vast majority of worrying comes from unjustified sources, right? Yeah. Just thinking about how horrible it would be if, and you're imagining it much worse than it actually turns out to be. Yeah. I I don't, I'm no uh, neuroscientist, but I'm very skeptical about expressive writing, helping your working memory. And I'm skeptical about expressive writing, changing your study behaviors nine days before the test. I don't think your study behaviors matter all that much. Um, you should have already done the work, right? Yeah, I wonder if it has to do with how how anxiety ridden your test or your studying is. That's my, for example. Right, yes, that would be my causal hypothesis here. If it is indeed a causal relationship, it seems like it is lowering your anxiety. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so that when you sit down to study, you can actually focus on learning something and not feeling like, oh, I have to learn everything, and thus you end up learning nothing. Oh, because interesting. You're trying to do too much. I don't. In too little time. Yeah. Do you think people get? I guess. I guess so. I never thought about that. That people are not able to learn because they're anxious. I didn't. I, I have never put that together. I guess. I always yeah, think, I think of the like performance anxiety mm-hmm. on the actual day, but. Hmm. I just think people leading up to the test, you know, as they feel like, oh, I got four weeks left. Oh, I got three weeks left. And they're they're asking me, like, what should I cover? What should I do first? How, I don't know if I can fit all of this in. It's like, no, you can't fit all it all in and stop worrying about trying because that's going to prevent you from actually learning what you're working on right now. Yeah. Which is going to help you. Yeah. So. Yeah, Interesting. Cool. I mean, Thanks. the takeaway there maybe is just if you are really struggling and you especially, I think especially interesting for people who have test anxiety, like really bad performance relative to their practice test scores. Yeah. If your practice test scores are way higher than your actual and you're trying to figure out why, mm-hmm. um, maybe give this a shot. Certainly can't hurt. Sit down for 30 minutes and just journal a little bit free write about how you're feeling about the test, your Mm -hmm. deepest, darkest fears about the test. Yeah. And, um, who knows? Let us know if you give it a shot. Yeah. Help at thinking com is an email to both of us. Um, next one says, hi, Nathan. I guess this one came just to me, but I slapped it on the agenda. Hi, Nathan. Huge fan of the podcast. I'm taking the LSAT on December 2nd, and I had a question about personal statements. Okay, whoops. So (laughs) we're a little behind here, folks, but we're catching up. Well, we're trying to anyway. (laughs) Um, Don't read my name. Thank you. Got it. Okay. I'm basically split between two routes for the personal statement. Italian food importing or comedy writing. Both very different things I've spent the last four years of my life working hard at. I studied English in college and managed to get a book published my senior year. I got a literary agent. 
I moved to New York. I pursued comedy. I got legit agents. What's the difference between lit agent and legit agent? I don't know. I guess <laughs> legit meaning like TV, Hollywood type. Um, I created and sold a show to IFC. I was published in a bunch of magazines. I performed for three years at Upright Citizens Brigade. I was in a few commercials. I was not a huge success by any means, but I managed to make a little cash and have fun. Cool. Hmm. At the same time all this was going on, my brother, father, and I started an Italian food importing company. My dad is from Italy, and through one of his connections, we started selling Italian pasta, canned tomatoes, and sauce. We sold to grocery stores and food distributors throughout the U.S. We built the company up to $12 million in sales last year. It's been an insane amount of work. I've learned a ton doing this and had to wear many caps. Ah, oh, man, I'm digging these short sentences, Ben. I, I am digging them as well. It's declarative. Easy to follow. Yes, it's declarative writing. The subject of every sentence is basically I, right? I or we. I did this. Yeah. I did that. We did this. Yeah. We did that. Yeah. It's not like a company was built to $12 million in sales by my family and I <laughs> or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's just, this is a like professional writer. This is somebody who spent three years writing, four years writing professionally mm-hmm. and is willing to put, I got a literary agent, period. I moved to New York, period. I pursued comedy, period. <laughs> and it's, it's totally great. It's really, it's, it's very strong. It's really readable. It is. I will say one thing. If you want to take your writing to the top level, then you're going to vary the sentence. Oh, of length. course. But, but the short, the short sentences are great because they're so rare. Oh, I think he's doing it here. I mean, in, in this paragraph, it seems like he's doing it for effect, right? Mm-hmm. He's doing it mm-hmm. like intentionally. He's not, he is going to mix it up later. Mm-hmm. But he's doing just a ton of short sentences, which are, and then it justifies this next sentence is going to be, a, is, is really long. So initially I was going to write about the Italian food company and the experience of building a business. But I realized that my letters of recommendation are coming from two professors from my undergrad who I was really close with and who are really big fans of my writing. I'm sure that they're going to mention my book and published work as that's all they're familiar with. They obviously don't know about my Italian food importing exploits. I don't tweet about it. I was hoping to get a little insight from you guys on what you think would be more original. All of my comedy work is cool and easy to read about and public, etc., etc. All of my Italian food importing company is private. Does one of these outweigh the other, or is it really just how much one of them affected me as a person? Hmm. Uh, Thank you for your help. Not... Peter. Wait, he said don't use his name. That's why he said not Peter. I think that's a fake name. I think it's a fake name. Okay. Yeah. Um, or it's his real name. And then in that case, who gives a shit? Because it's only a, a first name, Peter. I don't think that really does anything. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I think the answer here seems quite obvious. I would write about both. And then whenever you have an opportunity to use one of them in the optional personal statement, use it. And if you're not, if you don't have the opportunity to use one of them in the optional personal statement, or not the optional personal statement, but the optional essay, then 
uh, use whichever one you think ends up being the best after you write them. I think you're going to have to write them and then have other people read them and see how they react to them and see which one moves them the most uh, or impresses them the most and how are you impressed and which one do you feel most confident about and use that as your default personal statement and the other one as an optional essay. Okay. I, I think that's great advice. Write both of them and then take a look for sure. Mm-hmm. Write, you write each of them separately and then, and then take a look and keep them around and use them for different, different schools are going to have slightly different applications. So that is a good idea yep. to have two of these in the can. I think he also needs to think about what his overall package looks like. He needs to think about the personal statement as this thing that ties your whole package together and explains who you are and what you're doing and why you're here and why you're going to law school. So Mm -hmm. with his background, it's going to be potentially confusing, right? I mean, they look at his resume and they're like, whoa, you you sold a show to IFC and you published in magazines and you performed sketch comedy um, improv and you were in commercials and now law school. What? Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to make that case to them somehow that, that law school is a, is the right path for you or that it would just sort of show them why you're there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need to be. So I guess, do you know what I mean, Ben? He, I think people get too hyper-focused on just what's the topic of this essay. What do I write mm-hmm. about in this essay? Yeah, But you need to think about what impression are they going to have in the committee? You're supposed to give them a hook. Mm-hmm. Like the, this is not Peter the blank. What is Peter? And I don't think you want them to think of you as a comedy writer necessarily. I don't think you want them to think of you as a f- Italian food importer necessarily. You want them to think of you as a lawyer you have to figure out how to sort of tie everything you've done together and make it look like it makes sense instead of a whole bunch of random shit. So I'm, hmm. I'm, I guess I'm a little bit worried about if if he goes with the Italian food importing as his personal statement, then now he's got a resume that shows a whole bunch of comedy stuff and writing stuff. He's got letters of recommendation that are talking about his writing. And then he's got this Italian food importing company. I, I just feel like you can't boil that down into one brand. I feel like it would be way off brand to have it's just, I feel like the whole thing is going to look like it's coming out of left field. Hmm. Does that make sense or am I totally off? No, I know what you're saying when it comes to a personal brand or a, you know, a sort of a narrative that makes sense. Um, I don't know. When he started talking about these two different things, it didn't seem that crazy to me. I mean, it is – they are totally different. Um, but actually just listening to this email that you read, I kind of got the impression that this guy goes out and tries to get things done and – he took this opportunity with the the comedy writing. Then he took this opportunity with his family and succeeded. You know, he said he he said that he was not a huge success by any means, but he got into the field. He got things done. He made you know somewhat of a name for himself in the comedy writing, and then 
then he went into this other thing and he succeeded. So it seems to me like he's someone who's willing to commit long enough to actually see the fruits of his labor um, in projects. So that's sort of the brand that I'm just gathering from listening to both of these stories. I dig that. I, I dig the, I dig the fact that he's putting his best foot forward. That's one thing people don't do in their personal statement, which mm-hmm. is just like, it's tragic where they just don't even take an opportunity to show them, show their accomplishments Yeah, or show them, you know, tr- show yourself overcoming an obstacle, show yourself doing something good. Yeah. And instead people like whine and complain in their personal statement, which is terrible. So mm-hmm. he's not doing that at all. He is showing, he's showing two very interesting things that he was successful at. Yeah. My concern though, comes back to why the hell do you want to go to law school? I mean, and, and, and now I'm actually just giving him advice saying, why are you, what are you doing? What <laughs> run the business? Sure. Have a better life. Run this business. Make this food importing company go. Do that. Don't be, don't go to law school. Do that instead. <laughs> Write another show. Write another book. Do that instead. Yeah, well, maybe he's, uh, you know, jumped into these things and really gotten his feet wet and figured out that, you know, this is fun, but not something I want to keep doing. And that's why he's pursuing law school. But then that's... But hopefully he knows that for law school. <laughs> yeah, I will. So then two separate things. One, I yeah. hope he actually has a compelling case, like for reasons why he wants to go to law school. Mm-hmm. Two, I really do think that the schools are going to want... The schools are going to need that answer. Mm-hmm. It, they're not... They're going to... I mean, I think that the, the admissions folks must must understand how bad of a decision it is for so many people to go to law school. They, they have to know they're at the school every day. They know how miserable it is. <laughs> so they've got to be to think about how serious a candidate is and how successful that candidate is. They must mm-hmm. be reading something. They must be reading these personal statements going like, okay, where is the exposure to law school? Where is the connection to law school? Where's the passion for law? why does this kid want to do this? Do they have any idea what they're getting themselves into? Yeah. So I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I would think that the schools also are looking for a little bit of that. Yeah. And we don't, since we don't see that here at all, then it makes it very confusing. Cause it's just like, well, what you're a comedy writer, Italian food, importer, lawyer, uh, th- three things that couldn't possibly have less to do with each other. Mm hmm. And so then it's just, it's like, it's not tied up in a little, with a little bow on top. It's just, it's like very messy. The idea is very messy. And if you're trying to pitch this guy, hey, yeah, he's, he's going to do great at our law school because, because why? Yeah. I mean, a personal statement does have a little space maybe for him to kind of allude to that. I still feel like expanding on these two stories would be useful because they are going to be part of his resume. And so explaining that they are legit and that he did do them, I you know, I guess I'm still inclined for him to write both and possibly use both. I, I think that at the end he probably needs to connect what's going on here a little bit so that they understand why he's going to law school and we want to understand and he needs to understand. But like – 
I don't mind him telling both of these stories. I think they just add flavor. This is someone who comes in with a little bit of experience as opposed to someone who just went to college and is now taking the next step. I 100% agree. I, I, I want to hear the story about comedy writing. I want to hear the story about Italian food importing. Those are, yeah. those are going to be better topics for personal statements than 95% of all personal statements. Yeah. They're going to be fresh. They're going to be more interesting. He's going to do a good job of writing them. So they're going to be great. But I think people leave out the why law school all the time. And I feel like, I feel like you have to have an answer for that somehow. Yeah. And you have to think about that answer too. I think sometimes people, um, they just give, uh, empty empty answers it's sort of like i've always wanted to do a research and i see myself as learning the skills of research in law school and i would be a good fit for that yeah. and you're just like what <laughs> that's not a good reason i want to learn how to think like a lawyer i want to be a um better citizen yeah uh, i want to all the learn how to help people <laughs> i want to help people i want to ad- be an ad- i want to advocate for people i um yeah what else? There was another really bad one. Oh, just people have always told me that I'd be a good lawyer. Since I was a kid, I've wanted to be a lawyer. All of those are just terrible. Uh, they're just so, they're, they're so naive. Mm. Yeah. Um, you, you got to make a better connection. Convince me that you know what you're getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes me think you're going to be successful in law school and on the bar exam and in legal practice. Mm-hmm. So to the extent that they actually care whether you're going to be a successful lawyer, you can get that across by, by yeah, giving them some, some like, what insights do you have into the legal world? What do you think you're getting yourself into? What are you going to do with this JD? Mm-hmm. What's your, what's your plan here? And it doesn't have to be the entire statement. It can just be a sentence or two, but it it needs, there needs to be some sort of a connection to like, here's why you're here. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to read all this and I'm going to think, oh, wow. So seems like he was successful with this Italian food importing business, but he must not have been that successful because now he's just going, he's, he's giving it up to go to law school for what reason? Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. I don't know. What do you think? We beat this one into the ground by now? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I I still go back to my um the, I I pe- I encourage people to do a free writing exercise when they start uh to draft a personal statement. And I think you can start with two questions. The first question is why you? So, what accomplishments, what skills do you have, you know, ideally you tell you show me it with an anecdote. You show me um yourself overcoming an obstacle or achieving something so that I can learn about your character and start to believe that you'll be good at being a lawyer. And then the other question, so why you, why are you a good candidate? And then the Mm -hmm. other question though, is why law school? So of all the things you could do, why is law school the right step for you? Mm -hmm. And that's the question that so many people can't answer, Mm -hmm. which it makes me go back to my, you know, there's just far too many people who are trying to go to law school without having any idea what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so try try that. Write why you and write why law school. And if you you know you can write a page or half a page on each of those topics, and then see if you can boil those down to one sentence. Mm-hmm. Why you? Why law school? Give it to me in one sentence, and then start writing your personal statement, which can be about comedy writing and Italian food importing. But you need to remember that those are your two things that you're trying to get across is why you're going to be a good candidate for law school specifically, um, given all of the things you could do with your life. Yeah. Okay. You want to tackle this next uh, email from Ed? I do. I'm going to... Well, anyways, let's see what this says. I was going to open the test maybe, but I'm currently going through your podcast with Ben Olson on thinking LSAT for the June 2007 logical reasoning questions. I noticed that in episode 57 for question 18 on section two of the June 2000 LSAT, you stated that most strongly supported questions are essentially must be true questions. However, in that question, the correct answer B that you and Ben chose was not something that must be true in my opinion. Okay, this is not necessarily a problem, but let's keep going. I also found that to be the similar case for other most strongly supported questions that I've encountered. Thus, it seems to me that most strongly supported questions and must-be-true questions are fundamentally different in terms of what they're looking for. Please let me know if I misinterpreted what you mean by most strongly supported are must-be-trues. Thank you for the time. And the amazing podcast. Uh, no, they are not fundamentally different. They're fundamentally they actually, the same. <laughs> they're fundamentally the same. They're, I mean, what's interesting about the two question types is that in a most strongly supported question, they're just saying, hey, which one of the following answers is most strongly supported by the passage or the evidence above or the statements above? So, yeah, the correct answer does not have to be something that must be true. But in practice, most answers that are correct are very, very close to what must be true or are something that must be true. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And also, in a must be true question, um, although you're looking for something that must be true, it's always the case throughout the entire test that you're trying to find the best answer even if it's not 100% correct in your mind. So while a most strongly supported question does not have to be something that must be true, it often is, and while a must be true question should be something that must be true, it technically doesn't have to be 100% proven to you know infinity. It could have some technical issue you might think that's okay. They're going to still argue yeah. that's the best of five. So they're, right. that makes these two question types very, very similar. Yeah. It's the, the point is that your safest strategy, your best, uh, your best approach for a most strongly supported question is to treat it as if it was a must be true question so that you can maintain very high standards as you go through the five answer choices. There's no point in lowering your standards before you start reading the answer choices that's dangerous Mm -hmm. like i think people get they get tripped up because they oh well it's a soft must be true so then they read a and it's like oh well this maybe could be softly must be true this could this is strongly most strongly because i'm not looking for something that must be true i'm looking for something that is soft must be true 
mm-hmm. then they end up falling into some trap because they're like working to make an answer the right answer. And instead, you should go in with really high standards looking for, hey, this either is or is not proven by the facts. And I'm going to try to dismiss the four wrong answers, leaving myself the one right answer that is, if you find a an answer that is strictly must be true, then that's mm-hmm. definitely the answer for a most strongly supported question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, it will be the case sometimes that if you go in with those high standards, you end up like eliminating all five answers, right? Because you're like, sure. well, I'm looking for a must be true. None of these strictly must be true. But still... Then you go through one more time and you just knock out the ones that are like farthest from must be true. Like this one actually misstates the facts that's gone. This one is just something talking about a completely different topic. That one's gone. Mm -hmm. This one, I eliminated it the first time through, but now I see that given all the other answers are shitty. I do see that there is support in the passage for this idea even if it's not strictly must be true, it has support. Okay. Maybe that one's alive. If you can eliminate the other two, then that one that's alive is the answer, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly never, it's just not, it's not useful to use a different strategy as you're going through the answer choices. Yeah. I don't think, is that how you teach it? Just basically most strongly supported is must be true. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I do point out that, there exists this slight wording difference, kind of like a wording difference between a strength in question and a sufficient assumption question, right? In some ways it's similar, Um, but only so that when sometimes I think it's the higher scorers, they'll get caught up on an answer choice in a most strongly supported question. They'll say, yeah, like I'm going to have to pick D, but it doesn't have to be true. And I'll agree with them. Like, yeah, you're you're right. I don't think that actually has to be true, but you can see how that's by far the most strongly supported. And the, then they'll accept the answer, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Um, all right, good. So I think that sorts that one out. Yeah. Um, is it me? Oh, that looks fun. Good luck with that one. Oh, wallow text? Yeah. Um... Well, let's see. Hello, Ben and Nathan. Long-time listener here, though I guess that I might not fit within the same category as many of your listeners. I have no intent of taking the LSAT since I graduated from law school many years ago. Allow me to explain. Oh, please proceed. Um, First, I've listened to enough episodes of Thinking LSAT to know that this is the point when I'm supposed to allow you or not allow you to use my name. Please feel free to use it smiley face. And this is coming from Sean. Okay, Sean. I tutor the bar exam and have published a couple of books to assist students who are preparing for the MBE and UBE. I do have a slight connection to the LSAT since I do some work for a test preparation company and the company prepares students for a wide variety of exams, including the LSAT. And so in addition to the entertainment value of tuning into your podcast, and it is very entertaining, you both are just brilliant regarding the exam And I learn a lot about the test, and I think it makes me a better teacher on the rare occasion when I'm asked to teach it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I thought that with my background in standardized tests, I'd write into the show to chime in on my thoughts regarding the LSAT versus GRE debate, since it's come up as a topic on a couple of the episodes. 
Personally, I believe the LSAT to be the far better exam in terms of gauging one's ability to, one, succeed in law school if success is measured by law school grades, two, enjoy the kind of reasoning that one will be required to perform in law school, and three, ultimately pass the bar exam. Everything about the LSAT strikes me as designed for the specific task of determining one's potential to succeed in law school, and succeeding in law school is highly correlated with success on the bar exam. The reading comprehension section requires the test taker to read dense, difficult material and to glean from it enough of the details in order to answer the questions correctly. The LR section requires sharp, logical thinking and an ability to spot subtle flaws in reasoning. And the games, arguably the least relevant to law school success, do test an ability to think quickly, organize lots of information, and then draw a correct conclusion based upon the results gleaned from the organized information. If law school were a sport, the LSAT would be testing the exact skills required to excel at that sport. On the other hand, the GRE, at best, would be testing one's generalized athletic ability. Hmm. Um, okay, interesting. Or at least a, a different athletic ability, right? Math. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do see how LSAT, especially logical reasoning, it's very, it is very lawyer-like. It's very, or it's very law school-like, at least. Yeah, and I, I think the reading comp is harder than the GRE's reading comp. Yeah. It's more technical. It's more lawyerly. I mean, of course, it's a standardized test, but at least my experience with the GRE and, like you said, logical reasoning and even reading comp, I feel like they're easier and they're a little looser and have more wiggle room yeah anyway i love mathematics and an ability to score very high on the quantitative section of the gre does speak to one's intelligence level for sure but i do not believe that memorizing and applying the formula for the area of a triangle for example says nearly as much about one's ability to succeed in law school as the as the skills i've outlined above that are tested on the lsat Furthermore, the GRE has a vocabulary section in which you are asked to fill in sentences with the correct words. Memorizing words certainly shows persistence, which is a very valuable asset, but it reveals little else. Finally, the reading comprehension of the GRE just isn't as difficult. Uh, I don't think that an easier section when it comes to comprehending written passages makes for a better test of potential law students. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. If the, if the reading comprehension is easier on the GRE, then yeah, the LSAT is a better test for future lawyers. Mm-hmm. When the perfect test has already been devised, it strikes me as unnecessary to change course. I just wanted to add my opinion here, and if you choose to read it on the show, I look forward to hearing both of your thoughts. And thanks for the podcast. Definitely enjoy listening, and I look forward to more of them. All best, Sean. That's a nice email. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. Thanks for the insights. I don't know that the LSAT is a perfect test. Uh, <laughs> I also don't know if schools are really changing course. I mean, do we, don't we think Ben that the, the reason why people are doing schools are doing this is basically just, we want to make it easy for people who have already taken the GRE. Exactly. I think that's the bulk of the people that are going to be applying via the GRE, at least until every law school, if every law school adopts the GRE, then people will be able to take the GRE as a general thing and just like then decide where they want to go to school after. Yeah. But I don't think that's what's happening. I think what's happening is 
schools are like, hey, we want to get all these people who thought they were going to get a PhD in history and then decided not to. Or the people who were going to go to um, graduate school for in the sciences of some sort and then decided they changed their mind. Yep. But they already have a good GRE score on record. What the hell is the point of having them re re-prepare for a different test? Let's just go ahead and accept the GRE score that they already have. Yeah. That thought right there is actually interesting because it reveals how much preparation plays a role in your success. Oh, it, I mean, it's critical. Right? Because if this was really just a test of your, I don't know, innate abilities, then you could take one test and you're like, oh, no, now I want to go to law school. So then you go take that test. But no, it doesn't work like that. To perform as well as you did on the GRE, you have to turn around and put in that time for the LSAT. Now, maybe not as much time because you've learned some things and gotten a little smarter about test taking and so forth uh, from the GRE. But yeah, I mean, people do face that that mountain again, uh, not or at least a hill. <laughs> and... Anyways, my point is that preparation is is key. Yeah. But anyways, I um, just I like if someone shows me a 99th percentile GRE score, mm-hmm. I don't need I just don't need them to take the LSAT. Yeah. I, I'm like 99th percentile GRE. Book it. You're good. Uh, if you wanted to get a 99th percentile LSAT score, you probably could. Mm-hmm. M- almost guaranteed you could. You know, the the tests are different, but if you can crush GRE reading comp and vocabulary and math, mm-hmm. then I'm pretty sure you could figure out LSAT reading comprehension, logical reasoning, and logic games. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that as someone who did, right? I, I took the GRE first, 99th percentile. Yeah. Then I took the GMAT, 99th percentile. Then I took the LSAT, 99th percentile. Yeah. So it's not... And I mean, yeah, I had to do a little bit of like focused prep for each one because they each have different things that I, that I, I needed to check out. I, although, you know what? I take it back. I don't think I prepped for the GRE at all. I think I just got 99th percentile on the GRE without prepping. Hmm. And then GMAT math, I had to look. Yeah. And that's, you know why? It's because the verbal on the GRE is so easy. I got like 99.99 percentile on the GRE verbal, like off the charts. And then my math was only like 90th percentile, but it was still a 99th percentile overall score. (laughs) Cause it was just, it's like, I found the GRE verbal to be extremely easy. And then (laughs) GMAT verbal is also extremely easy. I had to learn how to do the sentence correction stuff, which had a couple tricks on it. And then I had to learn how to do, there's all the math stuff where you have to understand, like you have to memorize special right triangles and shit like that. Yeah. But jumping over that hurdle isn't that tough. And then I had a similar experience with the LSAT, basically logic games, right? You have to study a bunch of logic games, just practice a bunch of logic games until you figure it out. Mm -hmm. Point is, if you can kill one, you can probably kill all of them. And that's why if I'm Harvard, I'm just going to say, hey, you already have this killer GRE score. Come on in. Yeah. They, you know what? They might as well just start accepting the GMAT too. They might as well start accepting the MCAT too. I don't know why not, honestly. <laughs> don't you think Harvard can look at someone's MCAT score and go, based on this MCAT score, you can come to Harvard Law School? 
I, I, I really I th- don't I think see that why works. not. Yeah. If you do... Because it's well. an elite... Uh, it's only going to be an elite score. Yeah. It's like, show me a 99th percentile on any test, and you're in. I just wonder what it means when you don't do well. Oh, then it might not mean anything, but that's not what... I, I don't think that's what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. At least at Harvard. If we're only talking about Harvard, I, Harvard's only going to admit, admit elite candidates, period. So if you're applying with a shitty GRE score, you're not getting in. <laughs> just, yeah. That's like... that's No, you need you need... The price of admission is an elite test score in either the GRE or the LSAT. Yeah. And if they're going to do it that way, then they could, I mean, I don't know, like an elite SAT score probably just is just as good. (laughs) I actually thought about that for a second, but I was like, nah, it's still an easier test. That's the problem. Yeah. But I mean, uh, right. Because it's against an easier field. 99%. 99th percentile on the SAT, you're competing against like other, high you're, school. Yeah, you're competing against high school people. So I guess 99th percentile on the GRE means more, but I don't know. I mean, people who can peg the scale on one of the tests very frequently can peg the scale on all of the tests. And that's the, that's the person that's going to Harvard anyway. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, that's a very thoughtful email. Thanks, John, for writing in. And uh, wow, thanks for listening, even though you're post-law school. That's impressive. Um, yeah, here's another one. Why so, are everyone hi, addressing all these emails to me? I don't know. I was thinking about that. I, I don't usually take my emails and put them into the show unless they're too Oh, you just don't do it. I Well, I do it because... I guess whenever a question looks like it would be a good podcast, you no, know, and the, I mean it even mentions later in the end of this email it mentions you and Ben on the podcast, so that's why I tacked it in here. But yeah, I, I know I get some of these, and I just if they're just addressed to me, I, for some reason I just respond to them. Oh, I, partly it's like maybe it's laziness, honestly, because then I don't have to <laughs> copy it. <into> the... <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, um, hi Nathan. I hope all is well, and I hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday. Holy smokes. I'm not sure you remember me, but I took your LSAT class in San Francisco early last year. I am writing because I wanted to reconnect again and ask you a few questions about my letters of recommendation. LORs. I've decided I'm going to forgo applying this cycle, and I'm going to apply next cycle to attend fall 2019. I'm wondering if you think it is too early to start preparing my LORs. My reasons for wanting to prepare my letters now are below. Ease of mind. Right now, wait. Okay, anyways, right now I'm trying to compile as much information and resources as possible, so when it comes to actually applying to schools, I do not need to worry about these small logistics. Okay, two, courtesy to my recommenders, I currently work at a law firm and I have a few attorneys in San Francisco. I have I had asked to write me letters of rec for this cycle. Since I recently left San Francisco and still have close connections to my attorneys there, I would think it would be more convenient to ask them to do letters now as they are already expecting to do so. Time since graduation. I graduated in December of 2015, and I do not want to run the risk of my school recommenders not remembering who I am. Since I know I will continue working in the field, legal field until attending law school, I am not as concerned about my professional recommendations. However, I know my academic recommendations will not be as strong as personal and personal, so I want to jump on the opportunity to ask for a letter now. That is, I just connected with one of my professors on LinkedIn. 
Okay. I would really appreciate your advice on this issue. I believe it would be helpful if you and Ben could speak about this on the podcast, as I'm sure there are, many, there are similar people in my situation who are working professionals and not ready to go to law school immediately, but would like to prepare. Or you can just respond to me. Oh, that's kind of what we were just talking about. Anyways, um, interesting. I I would have no problem getting the letters now just to get it out of the way. Do you have any reasons not to? No, I, I think you go ahead and get them in the can. Why not? If the ball's already rolling, you can put them in. I mean, I've heard... Yeah, no, you can apply one cycle, decide you don't get any good offers, reapply the next cycle and just use the same letters. I think that's, I think it's fine. I don't, I think people overthink the letters a lot. Yeah, the letters are the least important part of your application. It's not that you shouldn't do, get good letters of rec, but everyone is submitting good letters of rec, I hope. (laughs) I think the letters are there to just sort of double check, reality check your application put a couple other voices in there that are hopefully, you know, just acknowledging, yes, you did do this work at this place or, you know, um, I think people can go wrong with the letters in really stupid ways, like having a family member, write them a letter of recommendation or getting a letter from someone who really only has like tepid things to say about you. Yeah. That's not a good sign. It's I I think it, it the letters might be the best double check for crazy that they have. I, I really I honestly think that that's that's sometimes what they're looking for is just crazy. Yeah, because yeah. there is crazy out there. I I had a boy. What was I had a correspondent? It must have been earlier. This I talked to a couple crazy people this week. Um, they're coming out of the woodwork. I don't know what's going on, but. I, I had a couple of crazy people calling me and wanting to talk about their law school application and the LSAT. And they're just, you can, they're just all over the place, wildly all over the place. Mm-hmm. But there was somebody who was complaining basically about one of the people that was going to write them a letter of recommendation. Hmm. Like she had, Oh, now I'm going to, I'm going to like mix stories together. I can't really remember. The point was basically, this recommender just didn't want to write the letter of recommendation. And this, this, this applicant was going to like pers- insist on using this particular recommend recommender. <laughs> Jeez. You know, you don't want to do that. Like the person is like angry that they can't get a letter. Like, why won't this person be nicer to me about getting a letter? Mm, and it's like, that is not the person to write you a letter of recommendation. You, mm-hmm. you need and if you can't come up with people who are going to say gushing things about you, mm-hmm. <laughs> then, uh, well, that's the purpose of the letters of recommendation. Yeah. Um, it is a double check for crazy. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Next one. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I think, well, sorry, Brittany, go ahead. Get them in now. It's fine. You could always do new ones. If you do something really interesting professionally, in the next year and you want to update it before you apply, you can, you can do that and you should do that. Get a new one, mm-hmm. but you might as well go ahead and get them in the can now. Um, okay. Hi, Nathan and Ben. My name is Luke and I'm a big fan of your thinking LSAT podcast. I'm planning to take the LSAT in February. I was moderately encouraged with my cold, strictly timed diagnostic score of 163 as of mid September. That is a bitchin cold diagnostic 
Yeah. That's awesome. That's a student where I would almost guarantee that they will end up in the 170s eventually. Yeah. However, I am concerned about my potential for growth because I paid $800 for Kaplan's LSAT online self-paced course only to find out later that Kaplan is hated in the LSAT prep community. Even more frustratingly, my score has not moved by any significant amount, scoring roughly 162 to 163 every test despite having completed the Kaplan course. So I have questions about Kaplan and why it's so hated. Bullet points. What are the specific problems you have seen with Kaplan teaching methods? Bullet point two, how should I correct any false teachings? Ooh. Well, <laughs> you want to tackle that? Couple, Sounds sure, like you have so, some stuff to say. Go ahead. Yeah, well, the first thing I have to say is uh, Kaplan teaches read the question stem first. So that's easy to fix. You just don't do that. Instead, you read read the passage first. But the bigger problem I have with Kaplan is just a general lack of faith in what they're giving you. I still remember looking at a Kaplan book not too long ago and flipping to the back to look at the LR explanations, and they were way oversimplified. It, it, and they were using cutesy, bold um, formatting to try to emphasize how a certain question or answer choice was wrong because it used, quote, extreme language. As opposed to or, t- yeah, or bold, out of scope. Bold, out of scope. Out bold, of scope. reversal. You know, it's like, um, and, and, but then the sentence that was trying to explain why the answer choice was wrong was very short and not, not that it needs to be long. Sometimes the explanations can be very short. That's not really what I'm concerned about, but almost all of them were short. They were just kind of jumping or, um, you know, gravitating toward these buzzwords. Right. And so that completely undermined my faith in Kaplan's attempt to explain things. And so then I'm like, well, what else are they just totally botching up throughout their program? I have no idea. So when you ask, how should I correct any false teachings? Well, steer clear of the entire thing because I I can't go in and be like, well, yeah, the a third of what the teacher just told you is really good and I agree yeah. with, and here's a third that eh, I have mixed feelings about, and here's another third that is dead wrong. It's going to be up and down all over the map, I think. Yeah. you. It's it's a shame. Luke's working with little cash and thought he had made a solid investment in Kaplan. Um, you did not. You made a terrible investment, and that's now sunk cost. And you can use the licensed LSAT tests that Kaplan gave you. That's great. Use those. But just don't ever use anything else they gave you. That's that's step one. You, you just need to move on. It's um, you can't get that money back. I mean, you could call them and ask them for a refund, but they're not going to probably give it to you. Um, who knows? Complaining might work. I don't know. Um, you you need to just you need to just write it off basically, and it's a sunk cost. It's lost money. It, whatever it happened. Uh, you got to move forward from here. The best way to move forward from here is not to try to squeeze value out of something that has so many um, pitfalls in it. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest problem with Kaplan is that it's not common sense. It's it, it goes, and that's my biggest problem with almost all of the major prep companies is that they go into the technicalities so quickly 
mm-hmm. that they don't just explain things. They explain them. They explain everything with jargon and they don't explain anything with like, well, here, it just makes sense because it makes sense. It's common sense. Like, this is what they said. This is what they're trying to conclude. If you think about the way these two premises connect to each other, they just don't prove the conclusion. It's a problem. This is bad logic. Look. Yeah. And they don't do that. Instead, they fall back on the out of scope or the whatever stupid technical terms they like to use. Yeah. And so, and I don't know if it's because they themselves don't understand the test or if it's because they're just bad at teaching the test. It's one of those two things. I don't know which one, maybe Mm -hmm. both, Mm -hmm. but I think you need to move on Luke, uh, to just get some, get some better help. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to pay for it. Um, and Luke says he's working through my free course and your free course, Ben. Cool. So that's great. I mean, that's a good first step. Yeah. But I, rather than, yeah, rather than trying to pick the pearls, which there might be very few of out of the giant turd, mm-hmm. I think you need to just flush the whole turd. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be too hard to decide what's good and what's bad. So... Uh, if anyone does want to listen to our free courses or join our free classes, go to foxlsat.com forward slash free or strategyprep.com forward slash free. Yeah. And, and check those out. Um, I got a call. Yeah. I, I got a call last night from one of the crazy people that I was talking about. I'm still shaking my head about this call that I got last night from this woman who was like, trying to get a scholarship in my live classes, which I, I do do from time to time, but I, she, she took a test master's class, started with a 120 and made it up to 130. Didn't really do the work in the test master's class, she said. Mm. And, and it made it from 120, which is almost impossible to get mm-hmm. to a 130, which is barely a shred better than random guessing, you know? Yeah. And she's like begging me for a, a free, free help and hmm. <clears throat> getting angry with me when I invited her to do my free online class because she learns better in a live classroom environment, according she to her. She got angry with you? Yeah. She's like, so you're not even going to help me at all? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm talking to you. Oh, by the way, she had scheduled a free consult with me earlier in the day and didn't show up for it. It was a telephone oh. consultation. She didn't show up for it, but then she rebooked later in the day. And I oh. said, no, you don't get to rebook. You can call me anytime. Here's my phone number. Everybody has my phone number. Here it is. Call me and we'll talk. Yeah. And, and so, and she was, she didn't understand why she couldn't rebook because there were circumstances that made her not be able to keep our appointment. By the way, she didn't even send me a note telling me that she was going to miss the appointment. Um, then later in the evening, she calls me and we, we, we talk and, um, yeah, then she got really mad at me cause I was not willing to give her a free seat in my class. And, um, you know, the, the thing I didn't tell her because I'm trying to be nice. I, I mean, with her, I was basically saying you need to give up on this dream. It's just not going to happen for you. I'm sorry. You know, you, yeah. you starting at 120 and scraping your way to 130 is not a good step. That's a, this isn't going to happen for you. Yeah. And I'm telling her facts, you know, I'm like, she, she's like, oh, she has a 2.5 undergraduate GPA, by the way. Mm. And, you know, and it's a surprise, surprise, because she doesn't have the work ethic. Um, she doesn't, or, or slash, she also doesn't have the, 
the like language ability to do well. And it's sad. It was a sad story. And I'm, I'm just like, listen, I'm not going to try to sell you anything. I, yeah. the truth is the thing I didn't tell her is that if she tried to, tried to sign up for my class, I wouldn't even take her money. I would, there, I do not want her in my class because I don't want to rip her off. And I, yeah. I'm trying to let her down easy, you know, saying, Hey, you have a very, you have an uphill battle here. Um, you, you need to get yourself like a 160 or else you shouldn't really be thinking about going to law school with your 2.5, you know, you, and, um, now she got, she got very angry that, and I, and she wouldn't do my free online class. Hmm. So she wants, you know, she wants magic beans. She wants free stuff. She wants help and attention that without paying for it. And I'm, I am willing to help people that are willing to learn, but if you, <laughs> You're not going to do the free class. Why the yeah. hell should I give you a seat in my <laughs> what? Did she she wanted a free seat or like a discounted seat? Um, I usually do free if I'm gonna if I'm gonna give a scholarship to one of my live oh. classes. I usually just give, I, I from time to time I have given free seats to deserving people for you know whatever you can't if you can't pay for the class and if you if you can convince me that I that you have a deserving case, but mm-hmm. I am going to start putting a minimum uh, score on that, that you, you basically have to score like 145 or something before, uh, mm-hmm. before I'm willing to go there with you. Cause I, like I've said, I, I've said it on the show before. I, I just don't want to help people reach 145. I, <laughs> if you're, yeah. if you need help to get to 145, uh, you should basically give up. That, Truth. You know, don't Truth. you think? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, we're in a world where now I'm going to sound like really like a cranky old conservative man, which I'm definitely not. But um, we are in this world where no one is ever telling these kids the truth. No one's. It's like all you, all they're ever getting is like follow your dreams, no matter how unrealistic. Yeah, it seems. And and uh, and if it gets hard, why don't you listen to a song about it? <laughs> and and yeah you just need some more some more you're entitled to some more free help and assistance and you know it's 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 uh oh you don't understand it well that's not because you aren't cut out for it that's because i don't know any other reason besides it's you mm-hmm. and for some folks i mean it they like i there are students where I can tell it is just simply not going to work out. And for those students, I would rather try to help them like down easy and help them avoid. I don't want them to find that out and have six figures of debt from law school. Mm -hmm. I want them Mm -hmm. to figure it out before they go to law school. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I should just take people's money and blow smoke up their ass. What do you think? It would make them happier. It would make them happier if I just lied to them. Make them happier maybe in the short run. Right. Yeah. Well, so then it would be, but they would be past me. You know, they would, they would put the blame on law school or the bar exam when they eventually inevitably fail. They would put the blame on someone else. They wouldn't put the blame on me. So Mm -hmm. I'm being, you know, you get, it's like very thankless to be the bearer of bad news. Hmm. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. I can't help myself. I just... I wanted to try to protect this woman uh, that she's yelling at me about. I'm not helping her and I'm helping her more than anyone else is helping her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally the only person who's telling her the truth. And she's, Oh boy. Tough, tough life for her. Anyway. Yeah. 
Next one. Yeah, let's keep going. Hey, Nathan, hope you had some... This is another one for you, man. Hope you had some good holidays. Enjoyed the recent pod. Hmm. I've been answering about 20 questions per logical reasoning section and getting 17 of those 20 right. I've heard a strategy of doing the first two full pages of logical reasoning, say about 14 questions, and then skipping to the last question of the section and working backwards. That being said, thought that, thought being that... Thought being, comma, that (laughs) 15 to 20 tend to be the most difficult. Yeah. Thought being that 15 to 20 tend to be the most difficult. Thoughts, Wes. We've talked about this very recently. Yeah. Don't do it. Just go forward, press forward, and uh, keep going through the section, jumping around, just creates unnecessary chaos. Yeah, this is a turd. It's uh, it's it's gimmicky. It sounds too good to be true. It is too good to be true. It is not the case that 15 to 20, on average, Ben, 15 to 20 are easier than 21 through 25. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't know. But I don't I don't really care too much because it's all random anyway. Well, I think it's <clears throat> roughly increasing in difficulty. Yeah. Oh, sure. I completely agree with that. But I mean, I still feel like there's a decent amount of variation. Well, there's know? hard ones in the 15 to 20 and there's hard ones in the 21 to 25. I just think there's, if anything, 21 to 25 is going to be harder than 15 to 20. So mm-hmm. I don't, I definitely don't think. <clears throat> doing the first two full pages and then skipping around. I mean, you introduce the possibility of bubbling errors. Yeah. And you're just frantically skipping around for no reason. It is totally possible that the last question in the section can be the hardest one. Yep. It's also totally possible that number 14, 15, 16 are going to be easy. And I, I just, no, I think it's dumb. Don't do it. Do the logical reasoning from start to finish front to back. Yep. All right, next one. Hey, guys, call me Albert for the sake of the show. The first time I reached out to Nathan, he accidentally called me Albert, and it's hilarious. (laughs) Okay. I am taking Nathan's online class and have been seeing large gains in my score quickly. I am scoring in the high 160s, low 170s consistently with some outliers in both the mid 170s and mid 160s. Reason for the email is that my GPA is really low, about a 3.0. Because I bombed a bunch of electives my last semester of undergrad while I was taking a Kaplan class. Yes, Kaplan hurts more than just your LSAT score. (laughs) I did the June 07 test before taking Kaplan and got a 163. But after Kaplan, my score on record is a 148. What? That's not just Kaplan. (laughs) Don't blame. (laughs) We have to defend Kaplan now. That's a that's a panic attack. And, you know, you you shit the bed for whatever reasons. But it's not uh, I don't I can't say how that's Kaplan's fault. Um, Anyway, I've done some more in-depth research on incoming classes beyond ABA 509s. I have found that some schools have spreadsheets with GPAs and LSAT scores for their incoming classes. I'm wondering just how common this is, as I have only located this information for a few schools. So far, the information seems to indicate that one top 14 school might take a splitter or two, and that I have a good shot at some schools in the 40s and 50s ranking. I mean, well, I say he has... If he scores 172... 
He started mm-hmm. with a 163, cold 163. Mm-hmm. So let's say he gets into the 170s, 172. Yeah. That would be a yeah. reasonable improvement. Most students can improve by 10 points or yeah. more. <clears throat> so sure. if he gets to 172, that would only be a nine point improvement. Now he's a 3.0 and a 172. I think he's guaranteed at some of the schools in the 40s and 50s. Yeah, he's guaranteed and we'll should get, get scholarships. scholarships. Yeah. yeah. And top 14s, mm, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, 172 with a 3 oh wait, 30. Oh, 3.0. So he'll be a, that's a strong that's a strict splitter like above the 75th percentile LSAT and below the 75th percentile GPA at, yeah. at like a low school in the top 14. Yeah. <clears throat> or at like a UCLA, which is just outside the top 14. Yeah. I mean, there are schools like UCLA that like love LSAT. Mhm. And if you crush the LSAT I think they are going to be willing to potentially look past your 3.0. Anyway, I'm hoping I can write an addendum arguing that my GPA for my degree specific coursework was actually more like a 3.7. So I'm just going to take issue with the word arguing. I would just state the facts and let that rest. Yeah. That's what the plan is. Yeah. It's a bummer that all that stuff happened in the last semester. Yeah. Because that's the student they're getting, or at least that's the way they're going to see it. Yeah. That that's the student they're getting. I, it's hard to say. I mean, you could say I was busy prepping for the LSAT. <laughs> that does not suck. Yeah, I don't like that one. Um, I don't what know, else just... we got? Because everybody else is busy preparing for yeah, the LSAT. The major, I guess the major thing. Just and but don't you don't need to editorialize at all. Like Ben says, you don't need to argue anything. Just put two sentences that you your GPA for your degree specific coursework is actually more like a three point seven, and that's the student that I am. Yeah. Period. Do you have any new insights either on a three point oh one seventy ish split or where I can find more data like this? I don't think you need more data, dude. I think you need to worry about your LSAT score. Yeah. Exactly. The, the numbers are going to fall, <laughs> or the data is going to be what it is. You can't yeah. change that, and it's not going to matter. You apply, and you make your best case, and you go if you get a scholarship. Yeah. Encounter if you if you don't. <laughs> this is He's doing a little bit of that. Um, I need a better name for it. I think I called it mental masturbation, where he's like fantasizing about schools and like just endlessly researching, getting yeah. trying to find more GPA and LSAT data for these schools. Yeah, but this is before he actually has an LSAT score on record. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, um, what is it? It's absturbation. Absturbation? Can you Abs- explain? Like application? Ab- oh, got it. Absturbation? Ab- Do you like that? Um, How about stasturbation? Stasturbation. <laughs> stasturbation? Is that better? Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, what is really going on here? It's like you're, you're talking before you're walking or something. You're, I mean, it's just lame compared to what you're saying, but I'm just trying to... Talking before you're walking. Running before you can walk? Cart before the horse? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, like, you know, it's like people can talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. (laughs) I see. I see. I got it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I, I agree. I, he needs all of this is not worth one more LSAT point on record. Yeah. So rather than because you're going to apply with what you get, and the schools are going to have what they have. Like there's yeah, nothing. Right. They're either going to admit you or not. They're either going to give you a scholarship or not. And one more point is is going to open doors and give you more money. And instead of getting that one more point, Albert is um, stasturbating. Yeah. It's a procrastination is- technique. Yeah, it's also like an anxiety thing, right? Like Albert is in a race car racing against other drivers and he keeps looking over his shoulder to see where other people are instead of focusing on... What's in front of him. Yeah, what's in front of him, turning quickly and effectively and and winning. Yeah, that is an anxiety. That is definitely an anxiety tool. You want to feel anxious? Just compare yourself to other people as much as possible. Yeah. And instead, Albert should be... uh, doing another practice section, reviewing one more question, watching one more video in my online class. Um, sounds like he's doing well, but uh, just just get your 170-something on record, Albert, and then everything will take care of itself. Yeah. P.S. Expect a $10 donation for me for every point above 170. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, we still do have a subscribe page. If you want to get a uh, newsletter every time the podcast is published, you can go to thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash subscribe, put your email address in, and we will kindly send you an email that has link to the show and also uh, the show notes, which are great. Thanks, Adam. Adam, Um, Albert. No, Adam. Oh, thanks, Adam, for the awesome show notes. Yes, thanks, Adam, for the awesome show notes. Agreed. Okay, let's see here. Um, We we have time for more and more, right? I can dive dive into this. Do it. Okay. Hi, friends. Hey, friends. I can't begin to explain how much I appreciate and enjoy the work you do on the podcast. I learn something new every week and feel like an LSAT expert whenever I have conversations about it with my friends. On to the content. Questions. One, what recommendations do you have for those people trying to move from the low 170s to the mid-slash-high 170s? I have heard you two recommend tutoring to those people in my position. Can you explain the nuts and bolts of what goes on during tutoring? I tend to be a skeptic, and it is hard for me to justify spending 500 to $600 on tutoring while on a teacher's salary. Uh, well, actually, yeah, that is one recommendation. If you're trying to get from the low 170s to the high or mid 170s, uh, I would suggest tutoring. The other thing is just doing what we always suggest, 35-minute sections, and making sure to review the ones that you are unsure about before you look up the correct answers. I mean, you're in a position where you're only getting a few questions wrong in each section and probably only unsure about another couple questions. So there's probably like three or four questions that maybe you have some hesitation about before you look up the correct answer. Think long and hard about those and see if you can prove to yourself why your answer choice was correct after all or why you would now change it before looking up the correct answer. By forcing yourself to go through the reasoning without giving getting a little hint from the correct answer, I think you can push yourself a little further. Yeah, I you can do it yourself, for sure. Um, as for tutoring, 
uh, I can say what I do, and that is people come in and they say, hey, this is where I'm at, this is what I'm struggling with, and I say, okay, um, do you, are there any particular questions that you've done recently that you want to talk about? And then sometimes as they talk through those questions, we can figure out how they're thinking and why that might be right or wrong. Or if they haven't done anything recently or have any questions about any recent questions, I'll just start doing new questions with them and listening to what they say and their thought process and not really helping them, just more listening. And then when they say things that are off the mark, kind of stepping back and digging into that a little bit more. The point is to sort of like investigate and find the flawed thinking or approach. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I appreciate these questions. I mean, I, and I appreciate skepticism generally. And I also understand that tutoring with us is very expensive and you're on a teacher's salary and I, I get it. I totally understand. Um, but the question of my tutoring works exactly the same way. It, it depends on what you're struggling with. So to explain the nuts and bolts of what goes on in tutoring, it's basically that, yeah, you show me questions that you're struggling with and we talk about those, but I, I won't be able to, I can't tell you blanket, like, here's what we're going to cover because I don't know what wrong ways you're thinking about the test. So I have to hear, I have to hear you struggle. I have to see the ones you miss. And you could eventually probably figure those ones out on your own, but we do this all day, every day. And there are questions where we're going to take one glance at it and we're going to go, Oh, well, I can see exactly what you're doing wrong here. You know, like mm -hmm. you struggled, you narrowed this one down to B and C and then took all day trying to compare B to C and we're never able to figure it out. But Ben will have in one second, he'll be able to point exactly to not only here's why C is wrong, but you didn't catch this part of C. There's this thing. This is why you didn't get it. Here, yeah. This is exactly why you missed the question right here. Boom. Yeah. And so, and that's like what, <clears throat> I mean, you also pay a doctor a lot for limited time, right? Cause a doctor can walk right in, hear what you're struggling with, hear what your symptoms are and just go, Oh, well, based on my lifetime of knowledge, practicing medicine, here's probably what's going on. Yeah. And that's what we do with the LSAT. Mm -hmm. So that's my, that's my pitch for it. Um, I mean, my other pitch for it is that I understand that it's a lot of money while you're on a teacher's salary and sometimes people just simply can't afford it. And that's, that's the reality of the world. But if you do have the money and you're thinking about making the investment, um, you know, if you pay $600 or for that matter, $3,000 and you make it from the low 170s into the high 170s, uh, it will pay itself back tenfold. Yeah. Uh, or a hundredfold, <laughs> potentially, <laughs> in in law school and your career. So, I mean, that's why we're able to charge what we charge. It's just because the stakes are, are really pretty high. So mm -hmm. you can do it yourself. You you absolutely can. But it's it's also, I mean, it's a like a luxury, um, it's a luxury service that can dramatically shorten your route to success. Yeah. Um, not every time it's not magic. Uh, for some people, it just doesn't really click, but it's worth a shot. If you have the resources, it's worth a shot because sometimes people just immediately get unstuck and it just, it like just registers with people mm -hmm. and then they save themselves, you know, weeks slash months of banging their head against the wall. Yeah.
Uh, should we go into this context or one set? Whoa. So this student has a 171 on record from LSAT round one. LSAT round two. I like this. Not sure whether to retake the LSAT. I typed, quote, should I retake the LSAT into my podcasts app? I found the Thinking LSAT podcast and you two convinced me that I should retake. Thus, I yeah. began my second journey up the LSAT mountain. My diagnostic in this round was 169. I'm part of Teach for America, so I can only spend an hour a night and the weekend studying. That's fine. That's plenty of time to study. Hour a night plus a weekend? That's fine. Yeah. So far, I have brought my scores up to a range of 170 to 177 with an average of 174 over the past six tests. Test stats. My worst section is still games. I miss three to six per section. This is usually a result of running out of time. Whoa. I mean, why doesn't he, she, uh, gravy <laughs> warmest regards. Please call me gravy. Okay. He gravy is masculine. Um, why doesn't, where, where are you getting that? <laughs> I, know, I just made it up. I don't know. <laughs> uh, my dad's name is Gary, so it's close to that. Okay. Um, it, um, with games as games specifically as a weakness, uh, I would be considering an online class. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much on games in in my class and in your class. You could just watch hours of game videos and figure out where you're not like doing things as effectively. Yeah. The, the repetition of doing a hundred games or whatever it is that's in our classes Mm-hmm. You you just do the game, watch the video, do the game, watch the video, do the game, watch the video, and you're getting some help, but you're not you're not paying us our exorbitant hourly rates. Instead, you're just using pre-recorded materials. Yeah. Um. P.S. I bought three of Nathan's books, and they are great. Currently auctioning off my PowerScore books to buy more Fox LSAT materials. Ha <laughs> ha. Nice. I cool. like to hear that. Yeah. Pitch for myself. Cool. Um. Well, thanks, Gravy. I don't. I hope we answered that question. I after reading the thing about the games, it makes me think maybe not private tutoring and instead videos. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, you want to leave it there for today, Ben? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, cool. Um, thanks everybody for listening. You can uh, reach out to us, help at thinkinglsat.com, and we will put you on the agenda. You can, again, uh, if you haven't done so already, please do us a favor and go to thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash YouTube and just hit the subscribe button in YouTube to raise our subscriber numbers. We would greatly appreciate that. Yeah. Anything else for today, Ben? No. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.